sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to a long-awaited, somewhat overdue, much-anticipated episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, I'm Nate Larkin here uh, looking on my monitor. My good friend Aaron Porter, who for once is not across the continent. He's actually within just 30 miles of where I'm sitting. He's back in Tennessee, back in God's country. Welcome home, Aaron. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Oh, man, you took a a long trip, a six-week trip back to the land of your birth. I think it was eight Uh, weeks, wasn't it? We left was it eight? Of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We left on May 27th and got back on July 28th. Okay. Eight freaking weeks. I knew it was a long time. Felt uh, like a long time. Yeah, it did. It did. You spent some time with the folks while you were out there? I did, uh, which is good. My dad ended up having gout, uh, oh. but they totally misdiagnosed it. So they kept <laughs> doing things that only made it worse. Ouch. So, yeah, that was crazy. Uh, I have since talked to somebody else who I know that had gout and said that it's just about the worst pain imaginable, mm-hmm. which is exactly what it looked like with my dad. So I was glad I could be there because um, it was in his knee. So oh, made mobility oh. and getting up and down very difficult. So it was good. So the kids got to be counselors for the first time at a summer camp, both uh, my youngest, which was super cool. Really? Elijah worked as a counselor? He did. And Abby. So that was camp camp counseling and then later directing children's camps was such a big part of my life for a long time. Oh, sure. Yeah, I know it was. It was just so fun to watch them enjoy it. And they did a great job and came back with so many stories about looking for the kids who were sitting on the outskirts and drawing them in. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And, and it was, it was fun to watch my daughter who is more reserved and shy, but because she was taking responsibility for other kids participating, she really enjoyed playing games and stuff that she probably wouldn't have enjoyed as a camper, but as a counselor, she did. And that was super Oh, cool that's so good to hear. Yeah. So good to hear. Well, that's fantastic. Um, you know, we have soldiered on here as best we could in your absence. Uh, managed to get a couple of episodes out with the help of some mini meetings. Uh, but in the meantime, did collect a bit of a backlog in interviews that are waiting for bumpers to, so we can hand them off to our peerless engineer, Sean, and well, I hear them packaged. I hear hmm? this interview is with my old friend Jim Ramos. It is. It is. So, uh, yeah, he, he leveraged his relationship with you to, you know, make his way onto the ship. No, <laughs> <laughs> no he's a returning guest. He's, he's an old favorite. He's been on at least once in the past, maybe twice. Yeah, he has. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So tell me a Jim Ramos story. Jim Ramos story. Well, see, I don't remember what I've said in the past. So if this is uh, repetitious to anybody, you can just fast forward to the interview. 
I don't know, Jim, when I started being a youth pastor, because I did not want to be a youth pastor, I was supposed to fill in for the summer while they found a real youth pastor. Mm -hmm. And that summer lasted for four and a half years. It's the longest damn summer of my life. (laughs) Uh, So he was a little older than the rest of us. And he kind of created a, a guy's group where we would meet regularly and we would do stuff together. And he just kind of would, would mentor us through some, some issues. And he was just a really solid guy. And he had a relationship with a pastor that came from a very strange church. I don't know if one would call it a Christian church that he was from and he was an older guy and he brought him into the group. And so all the group times weren't just like here, here's how to be a youth pastor was more here to here's how to have a relationship with a bunch of people. Here's a guy that doesn't even fit in with our types of churches, but he's going to be uh-huh. a part. And it was just a it's a really sweet time. But he was always the he's such a manly man. You know, he loved hunting and and uh, doing his his bicycling. Like it was it was always just fun to watch his take on things. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the diversity of our group and many of us were in our young 20s at the time and he was probably in his early 30s so it was just really sweet and watching his relationship with that other guy really showed me the most about him um, mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking of a story right now but I just don't know that it's uh, for everybody to hear so I won't but I'll say he did some sacrificial loving one afternoon in a summer that I went, oh, this guy has an incredible heart. Wow. Over the years, it's been great to touch base with him and see what, you know, how he's been growing in his podcast. And I remember when he started the podcast and it's just cool. It's a good guy. All right. Well, there you have it. You have the heartfelt endorsement from Aaron Porter. (laughs) As if that means something, but you, you got it for what it's worth. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For this week's guest on the Pirate Monk Podcast, we'll be back in a moment with Jim Ramos. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Our guest this week, actually a returning guest, Jim, you were on the show a few years ago, I think, an old pal of Aaron Porter's, Jim Ramos of the Men in the Arena podcast, joining us from, I don't know, someplace in the wilds of Oregon. Where are you? McMinnville, Oregon. Not McMinnville, Tennessee. McMinnville, Oregon. All right. Okay. Uh, Well, hey, and you're also, I want to make sure we get to this, so I'm going to mention it right at the top of the show. I know you're working on a new book, but the book that's out is Strong Men, Dangerous Times, Five Essentials Every Man Must Possess to Change His World. Uh, Well, hey, before we get going on the book and before we talk about guys, can we just rewind a little bit? I know that Aaron's history with you uh, began when you guys were both doing youth ministry in Central Coast, California. So, uh, you know, t- tell us a little bit about your faith journey and your ministry journey and how you got from there to what you're doing today with men. 
Yeah. So Aaron and I met in the late nineties. We were both youth pastors. I think I'm about 10 years older than him, maybe eight. Mm-hmm. And so we developed a great friendship. We, we really believe strongly in Jesus and the Bible and, and we just really connected. And uh, my journey actually started in high school. I was involved. I was from a, a family that was divorced. My parents got divorced mm-hmm. on my 13th birthday and wow. struggled kind of with that. Yeah, thank you. you. One you never forget, right? I forgot that yeah. that I got, but man, that divorce, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, and I, it was. I had a. I had a great high school career. I, I looked like I had it all together. You know, I was a three sport athlete, all state, and two of the sports, and you know, good grades. Mm-hmm. But you know, honestly, underneath there, there was something missing. I had a campus life director who also was a basketball coach and also coached me in football. He ended up leading me to Christ after my senior year of high school, and that started uh-huh. my journey. And I went away to college on a scholarship to play football. And I, you know, I was, I had accepted Christ, but I was so full of myself still. I mean, there was so much to knock off, you know what I mean? The divorce wreckage, the narcissism, all of it, you know, went away to school and, and my first year playing there, I was a fullback and I actually mm-hmm. blew out my knee in the game oh. against Cal Poly, which is my hometown. So I scored the game winning touchdown. I was a running back and yeah. blew out my knee. And uh, two weeks later, I went in for knee surgery and I had an anaphylactic reaction to the drugs. I almost, I th- we think we were, I was overdosed. I almost died. Wow. I didn't realize the significance at the time, but I actually went code blue. And that was on a, uh, I think a Friday. And it wasn't until Sunday that I could, Sunday that I could actually see again. My eyes swelled shut from the drugs. Wow. And it was really, really interesting. And in, in that ICU with my eyes swollen shut, I heard the voice of God for the first time saying, I want you to make a difference in the lives of teens. I was 19 at the time. Wow. So went back and changed my major from business psychology. I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next three years, I went over. I went through a series of major football injuries. Some were even worse than knee surgery. The last one was I had a severe neck injury between my C5 and C6 vertebrae. The orthopedic surgeons, the team doctor, my dad, and our head football coach said, you are done because one more hit and you could be paralyzed for life on your, you know, it, it was a nerve yeah. to paralyze my left arm. And so, you know, being a cocky 22-year-old kid, I made a deal with God. I knew God was doing this. I, I just, it was just too weird for me to be injured this much. I'd never got hurt before. And so I just said, hey, God, if you give me your life, if you give me one more year of football, I'll give you my life. <laughs> and, uh, and so, Nate, I, I know that you know San Luis Obispo, so yeah. you're going to love this part. So I went through my senior year of college football. I never was injured. Uh-huh. Had a great season. And uh, after the season was over, I was buying Christmas presents for my family. And my birthday happens to be in December. And I'm actually standing on Higuera Street right by uh-huh. Ben and Jerry's. And I thought, wow. I've got 32 bucks left over. I'm going to buy myself a birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> I turned, turned around and there's the Bible bookstore, the parable. I walked in, I bought a Bible. I don't know what happened, but God got a hold of me and I was in full-time ministry be, within a year. Wow. Wow. So been going straight ever since. We worked uh, in youth ministry in the San Luis Obispo County area until 2003. Then we moved to Oregon and have been here ever since. Okay. All right. Married? Married to my wife, Shanna. 
We'll be married 29 years on August 1st. Three kids. I have three sons, 23, 25, and 27. And wow. uh, yeah, life, life is good. We, you know, life is what it is, but so far, so yeah. good. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Now you're working with men. Are you still working with teens too? Yeah. So what happened was in 2010, I spoke at a men's retreat in Colorado and God really worked powerfully in that retreat. And it got me thinking about different things and, and my calling. And I was just feeling honestly, uh, like I was in a rut. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I went away to sisters, Oregon, which is a, like a little kind of a country town out about three hours East of me. And I just was reflecting on my life and I was in a coffee shop and I, was drinking a coffee out of a coffee cup and it was a Christian company, Christian coffee shop. And the cup said, the glory of God is man fully alive. A quote by St. Irenaeus or Mm -hmm. Irenaeus, depending on who you are, written around 185 AD. And as I reflected on that cup and how God made me and why I was feeling so dry and mundane, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I just changed your heart. And he called me to work with men. Yeah, And so that started another journey of, do I stay in the church? Do I leave? Do I plant a church? What do I do? And, and uh, I'm a big, I'm a real smart guy. I decided that in the worst, one of the worst economies we've ever had uh, to target the least targeted group (laughs) in the church. So man, I went all in and we launched our ministry full time and it was scary and our house went to foreclosure. Thankfully God saved the house and, and, you know, right at the ship, so to speak. And we yeah. just finished nine years. Um, we just finished nine years of doing this uh, in June and God is really using our ministry more than ever. And it's a total miracle. And it's quite honestly, very humbling. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, I got to tell you, I do see some continuity, especially when we're working with guys who are addiction survivors or just coming through addiction. I see continuity between youth ministry and men's ministry. I know from personal experience, <laughs> I know from personal experience that, uh, you know, uh, I took a detour from the maturation process when I launched full time into addiction, you know, uh, you know, emotional maturation, all of that stuff really went on hold. And I went for all intents and purposes away from my own life for a couple of decades. Uh, and and uh, recovery for me has a lot to do with uh, growing up, learning those lessons that perhaps I would have learned during late adolescence and early adulthood had I been around emotionally, not been checking out, medicating, and finding another way to cope. Yeah, so uh, do you find that some of those tools that that, uh, you developed during your years of youth ministry uh, are useful in men's ministry? Yeah, I really do. I think so. And I I think the biggest key, and, and I've read your book, and mm-hmm. I've had you on my podcast, and I know your story, and all of us are broken. Yeah. We all have brokenness, and I operate under this weird thing that we all struggle with things like lust and pride mm-hmm. and narcissism. And the guys that get into trouble are the guys that don't want to acknowledge that, and they keep it secret. And yeah. so yeah. I found, like, with youth ministry, the fruit that we worked for was down the road. It was never instant. It was down the road. And I think a lot yeah, of the yeah. things we do with men are planting seeds because when that brokenness hits and when they are exposed, when that darkness is is revealed, they're going to need some tools to fall back on. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, and we also want to prevent them from experiencing that loss because we believe when a man gets it, everyone wins. But when he doesn't get it, everything around him starts to 
diminish and is is lost. So we want to help that guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the subtitle for your book is Five Essentials That Every Man Must Possess to Change His World. Uh, break that down for us, will you? What are, what, are the, what are the five essentials? And kind of tease them out a little. Yeah, no problem. Well, the book title, so the book title used to be called The Man Card. Uh-huh. So, but we realized, man, that was not timeless. It, it didn't yeah. say anything. So we, we changed the title to Strong Men, Dangerous Times, because we feel like it's a dangerous time to be a man in the church mm-hmm. and out of the church. Although that that really is a timeless title. I think it's been dangerous for a decade or a, a century now. But the yeah. five yeah. essentials, what the book does that I think is unique is we actually define five traits that equal a man. So these five things equal manhood. And our assumption is male does not equal man. Right. Man does certain things. Like when I hear you talk about the maturation process and, and these things, I, I think of, you know, times in my life when I reverted back to boyish or childish behavior and I chose the path of a male and not a man. And so Mm -hmm. we want to help these guys realize, man, men do five things and, and because men are uh, visual, we created a mountain illustration. So the five things like climbing and descending a mountain. And the first thing is another thing, Nate, and you'll appreciate this with your awesome work you do with the Samson Society. We've tried to create a definition or an understanding of manhood that transcended race, religion, history, mm-hmm. demographics. Because if we're going to be truth guys, we felt like we believe firmly that this definition needs to transcend all of that. Yeah. And so, yeah. so the the definition on the surface may not sound super spiritual, but mm-hmm. we think that the trailhead, and I'll start with the trailhead, and I'll I'll start there, and I'll let you tease it out with me. the The trailhead is the this is the foundation of masculinity. It is the function of masculinity. Without this one trait, no man would ever call another man a man. Without this first mm-hmm. trait, and the trait is protecting integrity. We just uh-huh. think that's foundational to manhood. You know, Adam and Eve, when God made Adam, he made him upright, fully exposed. What I, what blows me away is he was fully exposed with his sex organs fully exposed. And human species is the only species on the planet that walks upright with their sex organs exposed. Mm-hmm. But when he had, when he fell into sin, he covered and bent over in shame. So here's a prototypical male, you know, covering up his junk with a fig leaf. And that's what, when we are, when we have a breach of integrity, we are not able to stand up on full display for the yeah. world to see and giving God the glory. Yeah. And so uh-huh. that, that integrity starts there. Okay. Wow. All right. So we started the trailhead with, uh, and integrity uh, is not, Perfection, right? Oh, no, what is no, 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 no. Integrity is uh, moving towards wholeness and completeness, and it's it is the it is a man who has all of these various characteristics or character traits in order. And what mm-hmm. I tell people, the most important character trait for a man of integrity is Philippians one six. I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Right. So right. with the moment we say, I'm there, I'm a man of integrity, that's the that's the moment that we're in trouble, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah, to me, it's it's uh I always have to remind myself that integrity 
and integration share the same root, right? Mm, mm-hmm, and I'm living mm-hmm. in integrity when I'm when I'm living an integrated life, and I'm no longer hiding the shadow. Absolutely right. You know, Earl, right? Wilson, Earl Wilson wrote a book with Paul Friesen called uh, "Restoring the Fallen," and in that book, he talks about unswept corners. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, no unswept corners. And so we try yeah. to live with no unswept corners, which allows us to be upright. So when I speak and I say, hey, man, I've got covenant eyes on my phone and my all my devices because I'm afraid of what I'm capable of. Right. That's not me saying I'm a porn addict. It's me saying I know what I'm capable of. It's right. the same reason I don't, I don't know, do whatever, do X. You know, I, I, yeah, I right, just sure. want to be out there and say, here's here is where it is. Yet in that, I find my strength. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, th- so that's the first essential. Uh, what, what's, what's after we, after we've launched from the trailhead, what's the next? Yep. So after we launch the trailhead, you know, what happens next? It, it's a, it's a climb. It's a grind. It's uh-huh. a battling resistance. You know, I'm a 255 pound man and I'm laughing because my son and I, he's 20 sick or 25 and just ran a marathon he and his buddy who ran the marathon with him, we're doing an elk backpack hunting trip in September. Oh, I'm wow. Like, I'm like, okay, I hope you guys can carry the old guy out. So what I'm doing is <laughs> I'm realizing a guy my size, I have to train and I have to fight and I have to have the right gear. And I have to, you know, the Bible says, you know, throw off everything that hinders, you know, and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race marked out for us. And so this climb, I'm building up to the climax here. This climb, I think, is the greatest battle every man will fight. And it's the battle against apathy. It's fighting uh-huh. apathy. And so there are so many forces trying to push us down the mountain. There are cultural forces. There are sinful forces. There are mm-hmm. there are so many things. A man has to fight against those. And if he doesn't fight what happens is a you know this is kind of fun for me is a callus a callus is formed now on my mm-hmm. foot a callus is spelled c a l l u s but if that callus is formed over my heart it's c a l l o u s and a callus on the heart is the inability apathy is the inability callousness is the inability to feel for the things I should care deeply about. Right. Yeah. And so we have to fight against, you know, not caring for and nurturing our wives through fidelity and moral purity, not loving our children through uh, going to work every day and, you know, going to their games, you know, this type of thing. It's fighting those things that tend to push us back down the mountain. Okay. Oh, beautiful. All right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And that's where it really has gone south for so many of us and for our culture, right? The silence of Adam, right? Okay, so uh, take us on now. Give us us number three. Okay, so number three is the summit. It's the apex of manhood. You know, my son Darby, the one who I'm going elk hunting with, last summer we decided to climb the third largest mountain in Oregon. It's the South Sister, a.k.a. Charity. And, uh, man, it was a grind. It was so hard. It was Mm. my, my son said, Dad, I've never seen you work so hard in your life. I've never seen you struggle, but you made it. And it was awesome. But the pictures that we got from the summit, I mean, they're glorious. You just can't yeah. imagine the view from the summit and the summit of manhood, the apex of manhood. This, this is, and I, I just will die on this hill, Nate, and I know you will too. I just believe with all my heart that a man can never become his best version. 
He can never become the man that he's been created to be without radical devotion to his Savior, mm-hmm. and that is Jesus Christ. And so, uh, I've I've I had a had a moment several years ago with a man in a hot tub. Now that may sound awkward for you, but that, <laughs> that, was, that, man was, that man was my brother, and okay. we were sitting in the hot tub. And he's not a he's not a church guy. He's a rough dude. He's a prison guard who wears cowboy boots and Wranglers and. NASCAR leather jackets with a number going the wrong way. You know, mm-hmm. he's just a tough beer brawling kind of tough guy. And I said to him, I said, Hey bro, I want you to help me out here. Do you believe there's a God? And my brother who hasn't been to church besides weddings and funerals said, yeah, I do. Totally. I said, okay, bro, do you believe if, if, if there is a God that, and he, you believe he made you? Well, yes, of course I do. Okay. Well, if you believe he's, he's there and he made you, doesn't it make sense he has a purpose for you? Because why would he make you and have you be void of purpose? He goes, oh, man, I totally believe that. Of course I'm made for a purpose. Yeah. And I said, and don't you think that if he made you, he loves you? Because no creator makes something he despises. He yeah. goes, I agree with you 100%. I said, okay, bro. If you believe all those things, how can you ever be the man that God has fully designed you to be without radical devotion to the one who made you. And he started to cry in the hot tub. And yeah. he said, bro, he said, um, man, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, I don't think it matters what you believe. If you take it back logically, we're all going to get to the same place. If there is a God, he did make me, I can never be who I've been designed to be without radical devotion to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah. Okay. Well, that is the summit. Uh, uh I'm 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 struggling a little bit now. Are we talking about aging when I'm now heading downhill? Because I, I I can connect with that. <laughs> no, but we're close, and I think you're going to really relate to this because you've shared your story publicly. And, and, uh-huh. and to me, the downhill, what I've seen as the downhill, or we call it the descent, is that man. You know, it's that guy who summits Mount Everest. You know, every year. More people die on the summit of Mount Everest descending than uh-huh. the climb. 1996, Krakow wrote about it in his book, Into Thin Air. Uh, 2014 uh-huh. and 2000, I think, in 16, they had an avalanche. And the people who died that were killed, uh, they die on the descent. They relax. Uh-huh. They lean yeah. back. And when you lean back, you lose traction. You uh, need to get you. your nose over your toes. It's a little scary walking perpendicular downhill. But yeah. the, the descent is this, and I've seen this in the church so much. I've seen this with pastors. I've seen this with myself because uh, because life is hard. It's a battle. Yeah. And when a yeah. guy gives his life to Christ, he instantly immerses himself with a community of people who love him, who care for him. He's got a pastor who says, let me teach you the Bible. He's got a youth pastor who says, let me let me minister to your kids. He's got a children's pastor who says, let me love your children. You know, he's got a, you know, m- maybe a marriage ministry mm-hmm. says, let me help your marriage. What happens with that guy is he tends to lean back and relax and he tends to defer yeah. leadership. Uh-huh. The fourth essential of manhood is leading courageously. That uh-huh. now that we've achieved this apex of manhood in Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to navigate those we love with us into the in the into the mountains of God, and then ultimately their own apex of Jesus Christ. Okay. Oh, good. I love. And I, you know, I have climbed a couple of mountains. It's been a very long time. <laughs> I've climbed a couple of mountains. I did climb Kilimanjaro and Mount Kenya oh, oh, wow. forty-five years ago. 
Oh, wow. but, I will, but I will tell you, the descent was more painful than the ascent. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was crippled come, after coming down. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was dangerous. I mean, I took, I, I took some pretty hard falls coming down. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I, well, okay. Very valuable image. I love that. Okay. So g- uh, give us number five. Okay. So number five. So for years in my office, there was a white box about three and a half feet tall, about six and a half inches wide and about three inches deep. And on that box, it was wrapped in orange tape, and on the box was a, a note that said, found next to the body. Mm. And in that box was a Remington Model 700 chambered in 270 that my stepdad used to blow his head off on December 21st, 2012. Wow. And, and honestly, he was a good dude. I mean, he, mm-hmm. I got along with him really well. As far as stepdads go, he was awesome. Nobody really knows what happened. He just decided one day it was game over. And so mm-hmm. he left this planet with a lot of question marks, a lot yeah. of question marks. And what we have found, Nate, is that there are a lot of guys dying every day who leave the world with a lot of question marks or commas or ellipsis. Yeah. You know, uh, but, but very few guys really leave the planet with an exclamation mark. And so the fifth of the five essentials is, is really, I'm going to be honest with you. It's a chip on my shoulder a little bit. I just have seen so many quitters. I've seen mm-hmm. quit people quit on their marriages, quit on their jobs, quit in their life. And, and I'm just convinced that not all finishes are strong finishes. Some are wrong yeah. Yeah. finishes. Yeah. And so finishing strong is very important to me because I think that we need to finish our life the way Jesus finished his life. And in mm-hmm. John 1930, I, I don't know. You're if you're like me, Nate. You know, guys like us tend to have kind of these pet peeves we camp on a little bit. And people, <laughs> people say to us, "I don't think that's a big deal," and we say, "Well, that's a big deal to me." And one of yeah. my big deals is John nineteen thirty. In my, I will not use a Bible regularly if I turn to John nineteen thirty and there's not an exclamation mark at the end of the statement. It is finished. Mm-hmm. That is so important to me. How he finished on the cross. It doesn't change my salvation. It doesn't change anybody else's salvation. But when I think mm-hmm. of Jesus on the cross, I really, I think of William Wallace in Braveheart screaming, yeah. you know, and I, I think that him going out with a war cry is how I want to go out in my life. Yeah. And so guys will say to me, and, and this is one of the things I teach because it's really easy to get a guy fired up and do the, you know, it is finished, you know, brave freedom. But yeah. guys need tools. And so when guys say to me, I want to finish strong, you know, but so many guys don't finish strong. How do I finish strong with my family and my children and in my marriage and in my, in my, in my life? And what I tell them is this, and, and most of the guys we work with, Nate, are, are in the stress bubble of life. They're between 28 and 50 raising kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I tell them this, when you get home from school, you will be defined by this at your grave. At your memorial service, you will be remembered for this. Whatever you put to the grindstone will be remembered on your tombstone. And it is this. You will not be remembered at your memorial for what you did from nine to five. Mm -hmm. You will be remembered for what you did from six to nine. Yeah. So the goal of a man is to come home and finish every day strong compounded over a lifetime equals a strong life finish. And I just really believe that. 
That's oh, where wow. we're going to go out with the exclamation mark and not the ellipsis or the question mark or the comma. And so we really want guys to focus every day of their life on finishing that, you know, getting off the couch, putting down the beer, putting down the remote, yeah. getting out of the man cave and embracing your kids, loving that woman of yours and, and just really engaging. And it is hard. It is so yeah. hard at the end of the day. But yeah, we're sure. asking guys, we're asking guys to do the hard thing. Yeah. Wow. That's strong. Talk about a strong finish. That was a strong finish uh, uh, to, to the message of the book. The book, again, yeah. by the way, is Strong Men, Dangerous Times. And the podcast is the Men in the Arena podcast. You guys have been going now for how long? Well, we started in 2017. So we're four years into it, about 450 yeah. episodes. Yeah, you're cranking them out. You're far more disciplined in getting those uh, episodes out <laughs> than we. You already have more episodes than we do, and we've been going almost uh, ten years. So oh, that's so funny. Uh, congratulations on that. Well, well I appreciate uh, your ministry, man. It's a you are you are really impacting hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of lives. I know you have over four hundred. Last time I talked to you, you had over four hundred different groups around the country, and that's so impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're really thrilled about the online meetings now, the groups that now are proliferating around the globe, not just in oh, English, man. but in Italian now and French and Spanish. So it's cool. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Jim, thank you so much, Jim Ramos, for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, Aaron, of course, gives you know sends his love. It's with great regret that he wasn't able to join us today. Uh, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Back on the Pirate Monk podcast, I am glad that uh, that you got to have that conversation because this is a weird topic. I mean, we've talked about it for years how there yeah. there isn't isn't much of a men's initiation culture, and mm. there are generations of men who have largely been raised by women. Yeah, which yeah. God God bless them, but that is hard when there is no transition into this is what it means to be a man or here's when you are a man or here's what it looks like to be a man. Yeah. And we've talked yeah. to so many guys who are in their thirties and forties and fifties who are still waiting for that. I am a man moment. I am a man yeah. amongst men moment. And yeah. And yeah, I really admire the way you've been intentional with your boys about that. I, I do remember a story that you told once uh, about your son Samuel's initiation into manhood. Is that yeah, something you'd feel it, comfortable sharing? Yeah, and it's uh, it's funny because it, it wasn't planned, so it definitely wasn't <laughs> my doing. But, yeah. I mean, with uh, all, all of our kids are different, but I really wanted to let my kids be adults as soon as they had proven that they were responsible so that they could do that in the house and practice it before they left. Yeah. So with my oldest... Uh, when he was 16, he was doing really well. And we had a sit down with 
me and his mom and him and said, all right, you are an adult now. Here are the reasons why. And we had talked before about what it would mean for him to be an adult. So he'd been working on that. Mm-hmm. So we said, we are not going to make the rules for you. You're going to make the decisions. We are here to help you make those decisions if you let us, or you can make your own choices and mistakes. I said, the only rule you have is if you are being unloving to anybody in the house, you're out of bounds. But as long as you're being loving, like if yeah. your mom wants to do something for her birthday and your friends want you to go to a bonfire at the beach, you're not going to be told that you have to go to your mom's birthday. You will, however, have all the consequences of choosing to go to the beach if that's what you do. <laughs> the choices are yours, the consequences are yours. And he really... He took that very seriously and embraced that and, you know, muddled his way through, but mostly made a lot of good decisions. But uh, it wasn't until, oh man, now it's bad bad with years. I want to say his senior year, he had been dating a girl and he got a call that was, they wanted him to come to the family's house so the family could talk to him. I said, what, what's that mean? Like, just you sitting there? He's like, I think she might be breaking up with me. I'm like, yeah, but in front of the whole family? So he had tried <laughs> to say, like, well, can you tell me what it's about over the phone? It was, it was kind of like, no, no, you just have to come. And I just remember that really pissed me off. And I'm like, well, that seems unfair. You want me to come so you have one other person on your side? Totally thought he was going to say no, by the way. He's yeah. probably going to hear this and be like, oh, you didn't mean it. I meant it, but didn't think I'd have to do it. <laughs> and and he immediately said, yes, please. And I was like, oh, crap. Okay. So we get in the car, and about three minutes into our drive, he gets a text saying, will you meet with just me and my dad at a Starbucks? And we both went, okay, this is a, this is a breakup thing. It's a very strange breakup thing between a boy, a girl, and two dads, but yeah. this is a breakup. So we get there, and I, I just can't even tell you. I delight in awkward. I was not delighting in this awkward. It was very <laughs> awkward. And we had the awkward conversation. It was a breakup. He was really good through the conversation, um, but he felt really sad. And we got in the car after this occurred. And he was quiet for a couple minutes and then said, you know what? I'm really glad I was her first boyfriend. And I said, why is that? He said, because we didn't do anything that she will ever have to feel bad about. And I protected those things for her and some other guy might not have. So even though this is hard for me, I'm really glad that this was her first experience. Which, wow. by the way, it was his first experience too. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I heard in that moment was I care more about preserving her feelings than taking what is easier or good for me. Mm. And I said, you know what, dude, we've talked about being initiated into manhood and how kids in other cultures have to go out and, you know, hunt a lion or go sit on a mountain for four days. What you just did was just as hard as any one of them had to do to become a man. And tonight you just 
prove that you're a man. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's go, let's go get a drink and grieve together. So he went to our favorite pub and got some root beer and just sat and said, this sucks. I probably got a regular beer. I don't remember, but I know he didn't, he was 17, but we just sat and said, this, this hurts and just let it hurt for a while. Oh, wow. But it's, it's just so interesting. So it was such a surprise to me. Again, not a planned parenting thing. But that initiation comes in so many forms if we just recognize it and try to honor it and mm. remember how special that is. That that was yeah. an incredibly special moment showing his heart and showing what kind of a man he had become. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. What a wonderful story. Yeah, it was a good moment. Well, and, he, uh, and, he, and, and he did give permission to tell that story. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, and you know what? I appreciated the fact that you checked with him before you shared the story on the podcast. That, was, uh, that showed good instincts on your part. Shows that you and your son have, I mean, you, you have uh, 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 developed a relationship of mutual respect. You weren't going to embarrass him. He's not going to embarrass you. That well, was, that was I'm not going to say I'm not going to embarrass him. I'm sure I've crossed that line many a time <laughs> in his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyways, I, I love this conversation because it's so important. It's important for dads It's for their own sake to learn how yeah. to model it and to know that it doesn't come through perfection. And in fact, our how we deal with our failures is as important as anything. Mm, I mean, yeah, how yeah. awful would it be if we thought that a man is a person that just always has the strength, the truth, integrity? Uh, I have failed at every one of those. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what what do we do with that? What is the process? Mm. Uh, you know, uh just switching topics a little bit. Uh, I was just checking the registration page for the upcoming fall retreat, which is now just three months off. That seems like a long time, but that 90 days is going to fly. Registration is already at record levels. The single rooms are gone. The semi-private rooms are gone. There still is uh, there are accommodations in the lodge bunk rooms and in the uh, heritage bunk rooms. What I love most, you know, they're going to be, there's going to be a great speaker and uh, terrific workshops. But for me, always the best part of the retreat is the, are, the informal conversations that take place from Friday night to, to Sunday afternoon. The stories that get told. Yep. The and, and, uh, the vulnerability that guys bring to the retreat. You know, have you ever been to those men's retreats where everybody comes strutting up and they're just trying to outmasculine each other and they're performing for each other through the week? Have you ever been to one of those that? Like, oh, 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 no, I've, I've, I've never been to that because I was mostly at, you know, pastor's conferences where it's only humility. <laughs> There's no strutting. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pastors' conferences, particularly. Boy, I, I, I survived a, a great many of those. 
and did my share of performing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love about a Samson retreat is that is not the vibe at all. No, it's not. No, no, no. Uh, we come in and we show our real selves and we tell the real truth and we share real stories. And at times we grieve together like you did mm-hmm. with Samuel. And other times we rejoice together. But uh, what comes out of that time is deep connection, the kind of fellowship that is promised to us when we walk in the light as he's in the light. Uh, I appreciate that you and I have that relationship, Aaron. Uh, I don't have to perform for you. You don't have to perform for me. Yeah, that would be, uh, that'd be know- that would be incredibly awkward. Just you saying that makes me cringe a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, I do. So think registration's have, open. That was your point. So yeah, registration is open. Uh, but I, and I, I do want to let guys know. You know, it's too late to get your to get a single room. It's really too late to get a semi-private room. But now you've got your choice between the lodge bunk room, which you know is more comfortable than the than the you know classic heritage youth group uh, bunkhouse. Uh, so you can either stay in the lodge bunk room. Oh, uh, the or, lodge. I didn't know if you were slipping into early gangster talk. And you're like, ah, no, go, no. To the, go to the lodge bunkhouse. See, no, see no, we're no, going to no, no. get them in the lodge bunkhouse. <laughs> okay. No. So the lodge bunkhouse. Or, the lodge bunk room or the, or the, or the, or the, you know, or the, like the youth camp bunkhouse. Those are kind of your two choices right now. Uh and and will we be providing plenty of earplugs for guys? Yes, yes, okay. there will be mucho earplugs. No, so, hey, salt? Yeah, no problem. Okay, all right. Uh, I think we have uh, reached the end of this episode, Aaron. We do have some more that we're going to be able to roll out here in the next couple of weeks. I'm so glad you're back home. I'm glad you survived the trip, and uh, look forward to having you come over to the house and. Hey, by the way, you wrote some songs. You wrote some great songs while you were gone. No, you uh, listened to them. Well, I've listened to the ones as you recorded them on your phone. I want to hear them live on my porch. <laughs> well, we'll do a hoot nanny soon. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, I guess that does it for this week. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. Yep. And we are your pals on the Pirate Punk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>